sitting in the morning sun. I'll be sitting in the evening sun, watching the ships roll in. Then I watch them roll away. All right, welcome to the show. This is our discussion on uh, the Dock of the Bay, the first posthumous Otis Redding album. My name is Joe. I'm here with Josh, Tom. All right, guys. What? Uh, so I, I wanted to talk about the nature of, I guess, posthumous albums first. Um, did anybody do anything? I, I look like I was curious, so I was like, "What are like good posthumous albums?" Right? The list is pretty shallow. You know, I don't know. Off the top of your head, do you think of anything? No. I don't know why I didn't go in that direction. The Joy Division album, right? Closer, yeah, right? That's the only one I could think of off the top of and my head. And it's not really, because it's just like, Ian Curtis is the only one that's dead. It's not like yeah. the whole band died. Yeah, that's just, you can't really <laughs> you know? do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, did you find examples of them where the whole band died? Well, no, but all right, so here's my list. This is what I found. Janis Joplin, Pearl. I don't never cared about Janis Joplin, but whatever. Um, Elliot Smith from yeah. The Basement, right? It's a good album. It's okay. Johnny Cash's last um, American album, which I don't know, but I like that series. Um, Bob Marley Conf- uh, Confrontation, which is a good album. I forgot about that one. Uh, then there's a, uh, Nirvana had something. Oh, uh, Grievous Angel, Grant Parker. It's a good yeah, album. I forgot that that was yeah, a good right? Yeah, right? Um, and the other Oh, Nick Drake, which I guess is kind of qualifies the No Time why, why to Reply. I, wait, you mean Pink Moon? Or, no, no, no. He's no. alive for Pink Moon, but what's... what's no Time of Reply, which is, I guess, a cobbled together collection of stuff. Yeah, I think that was released much... If I'm not mistaken, isn't that the one that's got, like, <clears throat> odds and sods? So, I mean, it's it's not like yeah. Dock of the Bay. Like, it doesn't cohere as an album. That's why I said. I don't think it's, like, yeah. it, it's in the same category, but... Um, he left out a lot of hip hop stuff. I, well, right. that's kind of what I'm yachting over here. There's a lot of Biggie and Tupac, which I don't really care about. A lot of Jimi Hendrix. There's the Easy E one. Um, there's a Marvin Gaye one that I don't know. But these are just things that came up. Nothing that like, except for Joy Division, closer. Uh, nothing that like really strikes me as like this is an album worthwhile that you have to hear mm. in its own right. You know, maybe the Elliott Smith. I thought. You know, that seemed to be a kind of cohesive experience. Given this, I conclude that this and the next one, the Immortal Otis Redding, are the best posthumous albums of all time. <laughs> well, first of all, my first grandiose statement of the day. It, these things, like everything that you were naming doesn't have a hit. It doesn't have a dock of the day uh, on it, right? None of those albums have um, something that big. Yeah, I don't... Janis Joplin did, right? She One of her big songs was on that, was on that album, album, but I don't know. Other than that, I think you're exactly right. None of them... Have like a sen- a single centric, you know. Let alone something that went to number one like all over the place. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So that's going to help certainly. But um, yeah, I think you know, given the idea that this is like cobbled together, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. And all right, ready for my next grandiose statement? <laughs> Outside of Otis Blue, I think side one might be the best side of an Otis Redding album. Side two's a mess, I think. Really? Yeah, so you would... Uh, hey, side they're, they're one good. is solid. Side one, the third track? Third track's pretty weak to me. I don't like the third track so I much. Don't, so yeah, I, I'm not, I don't I know, know if it's the best. I, haven't, I didn't think of it that way, but I think it is very, very strong. It's strong. First time. The first, first side. First side. Ending with uh, Don't Mess With Cupid. Ending with yeah. Don't Mess With Cupid. Yeah. Think, open with Dock of the Bay. Yeah. End with Don't no, Mess With Cupid. Those are two Come on. great songs. I would say uh, the Soul album is, has a pretty top-notch first side, too. Yeah. Sure. Even strong. It doesn't have Dock of the Bay on it. No, I mean, Dock of the Bay is extraordinary. I don't, think, I don't think there's anything on here that is transcendently 
extraordinary, like Dock of the Bay, mm-hmm. you know, else on the album. Yeah, uh, the rest of it is really strong stuff. Well, yeah, Don't Mess With Cupid is a really strong song. It does have Tramp and Old Man uh, Trouble on it. I don't count them. I, mean, I know, I don't You know what I mean? Like that, that, we've seen those elsewhere. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I don't think of that. Like, that's why I'm calling it a mess. It's yeah. actually brilliant, but it's it's yeah. not cohesive. Yeah. It doesn't work, right? So I guess let's talk about it now. Why, why those three songs? Yeah, that's what I was asking you guys earlier. You know, when you have such a, a wide amount of material to choose from, you got three more posthumous albums that come out after this. Right. With really strong songs, like the immortal Otis Redding. If you told me that that was an album that was put together while he was alive, I believe you. And I think it's a really strong album. Maybe they're pacing themselves. They know that certain they want to save certain things. Yeah. So it's a, a, a scummy move to pace all your hits. <laughs> it could be. It could be. I, I know that like this is this one particular is all cropper, right? I think the second one is too. I'm not sure about the other. He curates like this. The curator, yeah. Cropper basically got free reign and he picked these tracks. Okay. Um, and I don't. I just read something recently that the idea was that he was going. He was trying to get like an eclectic mix, right? He was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know like what the motivation was before it, but you know, probably the motivation is this is this is you know. Coming right after 1967, so you have Sergeant Pepper in your head. So the wow. idea of, of of coming up with something that's so multivariated in, in in a way that you're gonna have like all sorts of you know different textures and colors and stuff in, yeah. in, in an album could also be that uh, because Dock of the Bay itself, the song is so different right. that you also want to represent more familiar sides of Otis writing that you know kind of you put you in a comfort zone. Songs that have potential crossover appeal, but also aren't gonna lose the soul audience. Yeah. And, and I, I totally get that for the the new tracks, quote unquote new tracks that are on the the record. But those three are weird, right? Yeah. Tramp does not belong in this album at all. Why? If you're uh, gonna, Jesus. yeah, dude. I dude. love Tramp. Don't get me wrong, but I know you do. It, it's it's like from outer space compared to the tone yeah. of yeah. the what the seven or eight albums that preceded. Yeah, I would even say that Old Man Trouble sounds weird on it this does album. Too. It has a gravity that only only Dock of the Bay has. Yeah. So maybe as like bookends, maybe that was the thought. But you're hey, you've well, got like two two expressions of exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah, you know, which is kind of an odd. And I'll say that nobody knows when you're down and out, which I liked, I think more than you guys did. That actually would fit on this album, but but it, it's a strange choice yeah. and it's a really strange placement. And it's weird that all three of those tracks are from different albums. Like I don't know. I, th- I was trying to think. It's like Cropper trying to do something like I'm almost like a retrospective, you know, of like different. So in other words, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a I'm a guy that now heard Dock of the Bay on the radio. I'm gonna buy it. Maybe this is bait to get me go back and buy those other albums. But but you don't know that because you don't know Dock of the Bay is gonna be Dock of the Bay. Exactly. But what you do know is Otis came back from Monterey Pop, and what you right. do know is the Otis momentum of '67. Because I looked at this album as the harvest of 67. Yeah. And there's a great, uh, what is it called? The, the OtisReading.com, where they actually go really? through. Yeah, you can go through year, year by year, and you could see like where he's at. And, and in the Rimbowski book, they, they, they kind of chronicle it, but you're all over the place, so yeah. you got to kind of piece things together. But he's got an amazing year where he is traveling all over the place. So he's... He's not, you know, uh, the bumpkin and tramp. You know, he's cosmopolitan. He, he's a world traveler. He actually goes to Europe on two different occasions, I think, that year. He's doing shows in New York City and Central Park. He's um, 
Oh, Central Do Park, I, really? I yeah, I think in the book it yep. mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there is a, a, a pretty good, they do a pretty good job of like laying out like, you know, all the shows that he kind of has, or at least people know that he performed that year. And, and they're well, all Well, Lebowski like, is setting him up in the book as almost like the precursor to the Hendrick explosion that's going to happen, right? He makes that comparison that he goes over to England and he gets this like royal treatment that's through the roof. And then mm-hmm. essentially what Hendrix is going to get, I guess, the following summer or whatever, right? No, because he, he's playing in 67 also. I guess it is, yeah. Because there's, cause there's a uh, sort of like the story that like the weekend after uh, Sgt. Pepper comes out, Hendrix right, opens exactly. by playing that yeah. song or something like that. So, I mean, I get that. That's like a way to usher in Hendrix's career because the beginning of the career, this is the end, so you don't get that same kind of narrative, but... But Rabowski is almost like holding it up to that esteem, from what I remember. It's been a while since I read the book now. But. So, so going back to the year. So he's yeah. recording in January. He's releasing King and Queen in March. Right. He's doing a European tour then. He comes back. He's doing Monterey. It was, I guess, in the middle of June, June. Or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you have the Live in Europe album coming out in July. You have uh, his throat, throat, uh, throat surgeries even in yeah. September. So... You have a lot, a lot of things that happened to Otis, and I, and I think that Cro- the way Cropper's looking at it, people missed the Otis boat from like, you know, 62, 63, 63. So yeah. why don't we throw some of the other things on here that, that are things that people are going to really enjoy, and so so maybe that's that was the mindset, and you pace out the rest of the stuff. Yeah, I, I, I right. that's a great idea. Yeah. But why those three tracks? Why not try a little tenderness? I know. Why not, you know... Maybe that was too big. Yeah. You know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they had special meaning to Otis himself. Yeah. Tramp was a hit. Yeah. No, I get I get why Tramp's there, even though it does sound very odd. Yeah. You know, in the flow of the album. And keep in mind, Don't Mess with Cupid's also released previously. Yeah. So, so he's or it was yeah. a single. So he's making a, an effort to to have a reprisal of that. You know, in in a way. Yeah. So going back, I see Josh and I were talking a little bit before you came about where these songs come from. Mm-hmm. I had, from Rabowski, I had the impression that most of them were from that kind of marathon session that's happening in like November, December 67. Except for Don't Mess With Cupid, Glory of Love. Those seem to be... Hucklebuck. And maybe right. Hucklebuck. No, not maybe, definitely. definitely. It's on a, the Stay in School compilation, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay, so those were earlier. Um, the rest of them, right, and I guess there's only five left, well, those, I think, were from those sessions. Is, I know uh, um, the second and third track were released as a single prior to this album, so I think those were recorded earlier as well. Maybe. The I Love You More Than Words Can Say and... Uh, Let Me Come Home. Yeah. yeah, but recently you're saying. Yeah, no, they're recent. They're 67. Yeah. They're 67, but they were released you know, separately as a single first, and then before this album came out. I don't know if they're from the same sessions as uh, the, that January or December session. I guess it would be... Is it January? Is that uh, what, what, what produces the, all of those... Oh, uh, no, December. Is it de- de- uh, December, yeah. right? It's, he yeah, dies can't in be January, December. right? It's, it's no, December, yeah. 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 God, they must have recorded so many That's, tracks. It, it must have been crazy, right? Because I think... Most of those tracks end up on the, the mm-hmm. next three albums, yeah. but it, it's a ton of material, and he, he describes it as like in like a week or yeah. you know ten days or something, just going through it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out the mystery of this album. I, you know, I find it's very mysterious. This whole business. Um, yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't more information about you know interviews with Cropper. Maybe there were, and we just didn't know how to look know. for them. Yeah, I hate internet research. 
I do. All right. Um, so I, Rolling Stone, right? You know, they did the greatest 500 albums ever, whatever. It's like 161 on that. I was surprised by that. Not that you've had that I much mean, do credence. You really, do you really think it's a better album than any of the, uh, like, Otis Blue or no, Dictionary not. of Soul or even the Soul album? No, because of the second side kind of mix-up? Yeah. No. So I'm not surprised that it, I mean... You know, who cares about the, what Rolling Stone says? But well, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that, that it's ranking lower than what I would assume Dictionary of Soul. Oh, no. Um, those other albums aren't on that list at all. Really? I think... Otis Dic- Blue has got to be. Otis Blue is, like, very high. It's, yeah. it's in the top 100. Dictionary of Soul, I think, is on there in, like, the 400s or something. Oh, really? And oh. this is the only other one. Interesting. Yeah, Soul album, um, and none of the, the first three are on there. Yeah. Not the uh, the Carla Thomas one, is it? Mm. So I don't know. Um, I I mean, I guess it's on there just because you want to feature the song Dock of the Bay because it's a monster. It's worth the price of admission. Yeah, and it really is. And it's a gateway album, you know, because it, yeah. it's such a crossover. So maybe it, it's that aspect of it, too, because it does have it garners so much popularity that, you, that you're getting white audiences to buy this like never before. Yeah, I think so. I think it might be it. All right. So Dock of the Bay. So... What makes this song so fucking ma- It's magical, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have some ideas. I'm playing coy, of course. But um, well, let's just look at the song first of all. I, I wrote down like, certain things about this song. First of all, you have, you're, you have artificial sounds. We don't see that in any it's, other Otis songs. Yeah. So we have uh, the, so the birds, the, the water. Some people don't like uh, the nature thing, but right. nonetheless, it's there. And then you also have the whistling. You have a, a right. whistling solo for almost 40 seconds at the end that's of it. Crazy. So that's crazy. That's pretty interesting. You have a, uh, you're, you're, you're entering the song with a, a soft acoustic guitar and the, ba- the bass counting you in, but then it's Cropper. This is a Cropper song, man. Like, I would he say... He shines in this song. Well, this might get a little back to our previous conversation, but this seems to be a Cropper album. Yeah. His yeah, guitar he, jangle, it's all over this thing. Yeah, yeah, which is, I think, one of the reasons why, uh, that might explain why two of the tracks are on be. there, because uh, Nobody Knows You or When You're Down and Out yeah. is very much a Cropper showcase. Maybe and that's... And Man Trouble is, is kind oh. of led by the guitar. I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. But you're right, on every count, I think. And then let's go to the lyrics. Yeah. The, li- I, the lyrics are what I think really make this timeless, like... Yeah, immortal, right? That's true because I think if you you know we've been looking at his whole canon of material. I don't think of all the skills that he has. I don't think writing lyrics yeah. are the top of it. Yeah. Right. But this, however, this, this hits it. Now, yeah. why? I mean, because it, it does seem to be like a, a a literal narrative of something that he did, and it does kind of hit home a little. It bit has more. a little bit of biographical possibility. Yeah, and I, I, according to I think the legend, it is. A, a lot of it is true. Like he yeah. is sitting yeah. on the dock of a bay, sort of doing this. Whereas you look back at some of the other songs, and you know you, you're talking about like this this hardship of love, and it's almost like you know he's he sounds like an old man. He has like the the the, the passion of a of, of an old man looking back, like you know thirty years in his life. But you know the whole time the guy's twenty three when he's singing yeah. the song or whatever. This seems to be very very legit, and it also sounds like someone who's coming to terms with like their life and just sort of accepting things and yeah. you know he makes reference to you know Georgia and he comes out here and so I think there's a, an honesty that exists in this song whereas in the other ones not that they're dishonest they, you're embellishing 
on certain, uh, you know, uh, uh, emotions of sorts, the sort of the play up to, to the genre in which you're singing it. And so, talk about capturing the zeitgeist. Like, this is right. very much like, this is like Tomorrow Never Knows without the bullshit of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, right? I'm not, I'm not sonically, I'm but lyrically, yeah, right? That, the yeah. idea of just acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm just going to accept it. I'm just going to sit here. I got all this uncertainty. I've got all this, you know, possibly loneliness and regret, but I'm just, I'm just going to sit here wasting time. And then the response of the whistle, which, you know, if you believe what's said in various places, you know, that was going to be, that was just like a track that was left in. There were going to be like more singing there. Right. They just decided to leave it in. He I was doing the, the fa, fa, fa. Yeah. You know. Maybe thing. there's going to be a horn part right. or a lyric part there. But leaving that in, like, it's almost like whistling past the graves, you know, the gra- or like graveyard humor, if you will. Yeah, like just you. accepting acceptance. Oh, okay. And that's like brings you to that happy place. I prefer that to any, like, you know, Westerners appropriating, you know, Eastern ideas. I mean, I think this is, this is so much more relatable. I think this is why this is a masterpiece. Josh attacking the Beatles right now. Exactly. Well, I, hey, I, <laughs> Tomorrow Never Knows is one of my favorite songs of all time. But I've always thought of this as being like, wow, lyrically, he's in that same headspace. But with John Lennon, it always feels like it's so contrived, possibly, or, yeah. or a little bit, you know, like, uh, yeah, with an eyebrow raise, whereas Otis, it just it's seems so pure, sincere. Yeah. Um, so apparently, by, by the way, he is listening to Beatles yeah. at this point yeah. in mm-hmm. time. So he didn't have exposure to certain music, it seems, until like 67. And the, the Rabowski book talks about this is probably a, a, a turning point in his life that we never get to see, like what yeah. the full fruition is of it. Because he, he played Monterey. Yeah. Yeah. And think of this, like this is the last song recorded, Period. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like everything else on the record is the past. Like this is the line in the sand that we never get to cross. Mm-hmm. So to combine a couple of those ideas, I think that um, he's not writing an R&B song. Right. In the past, he was writing songs that fit the genre. The mold was talking to a specific audience. Mm-hmm. This is he, he's trying to I don't even know if he's trying to appeal to other people. It seems like he's trying to write a song that's authentic in a way. And I, I don't want to describe, I think he's a great songwriter, right? So Respect is one of the greatest Britain songs ever, but it just, it, it looks like it's a transition, you know? The, the one thing I kept, I listened to this song maybe, you know, four dozen times, you know, this week. The one thing I kept coming to is it both has like a beginning kind of sense and an ending kind of sense. And that's, it's like uncanny, right? You see all the possibilities of where this career might go, but it also has this kind of like, haunting finality to it right i mean the yeah. whistling does right whistle yeah. past the graveyard that there's it's something it's so knowing and i'm probably attributing this to it after the fact you know but you can't shake it without the without biography though does it have the same depth that's what that i'm saying oh yeah so you just never will know i don't know but it does yeah yeah um all right so I want to do kind of a closer read on this. I, I, this is. Uh, oh, we just didn't for the last. No, no, no. That was oh, that was all warm up. Okay. Good. I'm glad we're going deeper. So, the idea. So the first question I have is sitting on the dock of the bay. That that kind of the phrase, the image of a person sitting on the dock of the bay. I think of seeing their back, looking off into the distance, and essentially into the void. Right? Is it a good thing or a bad thing fundamentally? What, what do you mean? I mean, is sitting on the dock of the bay kind of like resignation and defeat? Or is it, is it healing, coping, um, 
because I, I think both possibilities exist. I, I think, think that's it's part a of the, tabula rasa. You're you're at the edge of the world, and you you that's you know like it's it's wiped clean. So that's the ambiguity. I don't think it's I, like asking is it good or bad. I think is the wrong yeah. question. I mean, I I don't. Well, think, I think the answer is both. I don't think it's wrong. Well, I, question. Well, <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, there's the, so good or bad aren't the right answers. I, I, yes, right. I think that's right. You were po- yes. you're posing it as is it good or bad? <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm provocative. It's, it's neither. It, it's 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 a maritime wanderer above the mist by uh, by yes. Because you know, uh, it's, it's not good or figure. bad. Yeah, I was looking for, I was thinking of the word. I couldn't think. It's of a rookie it. figure. Yeah. I like you know. I like to throw that in when yeah. I can. But that's exactly. It's what about it is. contemplation and yeah. contemplation. You know, I, I don't view it as the binary. Good or bad, no, you know, doesn't have a Manichaean sort of quality to it. I think that's that's what you're talking about, getting to like an Eastern sensibility. There you go. I, no, that's what I'm saying. I think but it, so much more believable, like so much right. more like but earned, earthy, if you will. Yeah. Earthy. Like fucking John and George, they they fucking they're just doing <laughs> tripping off their heads and fucking conning all of us. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I get the sense that. Um, that he's working out his life to this moment, but about to make a decision, right? There, I mean, there are some strange things in, in just the narrative qualities, right? The idea that, like, he's, been, he's sitting in the morning sun. Does that mean he's been here all night, right? Does that, and he's going to be here all day. That's physically impossible, right? And I don't even get the sense that this is, like, high hyper, like, like metaphor either. I think there, there's almost, like, a, a mythic quality to it. No? Am I going too far here? But there's... What? I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't know. Right? There's a mythic sense to this. Yet, it is this kind of very relatable, earthy thing of just a guy sitting there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he achieves it with such kind of simple lines. <laughs> Can I make another crazy connection? Yeah. So, in uh, Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse, there's a passage that meditates on the passing of time using the waves. And it's yeah. been... Maybe 20 years since I've read it, but I remember it being one. It's in the second slim chapter. I think so, yes. yeah. So this achieves that with just simple language, right? The idea of being just frozen there in time for either a whole day or eternity. It doesn't matter. And then the decision of just, like, deciding not to do anything. Like, that line, you know, I can't do what ten people say. Right. So I'll just, you know, what does he say? I, I, you know, so I guess I'll remain the same. Just the acceptance. And so it's almost like time is washing over him. The world is changing around him. But he's somehow, in that moment, frozen for eternity. It's a call to authenticity, which is the exact argument I made about Tramp last time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, right? No, I'm serious. And, uh, Maybe that's why Tramp's on this album. Ah, I don't think so. No, right? What was that song really about? It's about a guy getting called out. He says, nah, you know, it's not about that. I actually have the money. Yeah. This is how I like to live, yeah. right? I think there's a kind of whisper of that. I think it's a little more sophisticated here. Don't get me wrong. But that line in particular is, I'll remain the same. I'm going to stay who I am, right? And you and you have that same kind of opening, right? Um Left my home in Georgia for the Frisco Bay, right? That's that's a, a geographical move, but it's also a move culture. of mentality and culture. Yeah. But what's he really saying? I'm going to remain Georgia, just like him saying to Carla Thomas, yeah, yeah. you know, the, you know, you're from Georgia. That's good, you know. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Call to keep who you are, as the music changes from that traditional R&B into this kind of what new pop sensibility. 
Yeah, what do you call this? Like, what is? I this? don't know. It's strange. It's almost. But it's funny thing is because it's so familiar. It doesn't seem strange at all. Like well, everybody yeah, knows. That's why it's hey. hard to, to deconstruct. I, it's actually it's more folk than it is R and B. Yeah. I th- it's a weird hybrid of R and B folk. I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's right. Fair. I don't even know like what else would qualify. For, like yeah. Go in this category. It's it's a thing unto itself. So you can see how risky it would be. Like uh, people oh, were yeah. so certain. Like he was certain it was going to be a hit. But why were they certain? The others were saying there's no way this could be a hit. Right? Didn't uh, who was it that didn't even want to release it? Was it uh, Jim Stewart? It's like somebody yeah, right, heard yeah, it's yeah. like this is terrible. I can't release this. Yeah. So I think he's because I think he's hung up on Otis being a continuation of Otis. Whereas this, I think you know, your audience is also. And this is something we may need to talk about is you're coming to the table with something in mind. So when the first time I heard this probably as, uh, as like a, a kid or, you know, just kept, you know, yeah. hearing it every so often, you know, on, on like old, the oldie stations or something like that, you have the images are very clear in your head. And I don't know if it's because in, in our pop culture, there already is a constructed tableau of, of this uh, Pacific Ocean mm. that we romanticize. So he's sitting there, I see it in my head, or sitting on a dock or whatever, and during this period of time, I mean, how many people in their, you know, 20s flocked to San Francisco to find love and openness, and they sat particularly there... Particularly in 1967. Looked, in, particularly in the Summer of Love, and sat there and looked out there. So I think right off the bat... He was, you used the word zeitgeist before, he is plucking the strings of something that's already inside of America at that time and visuals that already, that, that you had, but you didn't have a lyric, you didn't have lyrics to it. You didn't have a soundtrack to what he was about to sing about and now he gives it to you. It's extraordinary. And three days later he dies. Like what, yeah. would, it, what would it, it sound it's like? It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Right, I can't even imagine where the possibilities are going. What is he going to turn into? Because he, he's not going to sound like um, Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's clear. It's going to be something completely different. It's, it's, it probably is the greatest rock and roll loss ever, given when he's, given the moment he's lost and what's going to happen, right? Who else in the last 60 years is a bigger loss? It's extraordinary. Um, all right, what, a little more, a little more on this song. The music. Right, um, and this is just support of the not kind of R and B. The horns restrained are barely there. Yeah. Right, it's backgrounds kind of sensibility. The, he's in dialogue with the guitar, mm-hmm. where he's yeah. normally in dialogue with the horns, mm-hmm. and his vocal is kind of soft and muted as well for him. It's mm-hmm. like the the middle's been taken out of it or something. Yeah. And I wonder if I first I wondered if that was the due to the surgery because some some of the post surgery tracks do sound like hard to handle. It sounds like he's yeah. wheezing. I know yeah. that's not on this okay. album, but not all of them sound like that. So I think it's purposefully done. Like he sounds weary. Yeah. You know, the whole track sounds weary. Well, Hunkabunk, I think, Huck, was it Hunkabunk? Or Hucklebunk. Hucklebunk. That was, I think, the first thing that he records after the surgery. I don't, is it? I don't, oh, yeah, is it? I don't he sounds it. ferocious on that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. So then this was by design. This is, he sounds, yeah. you know, the weariness is, yeah. you know. I, he makes it work, you know. Yeah. Who knows? I don't Maybe he's writing it for this, you know, limitation. I don't know, but it, it's, it's like a miracle. And the production, right? Those... Everything is in perfect balance. I don't think everything on this album is... I'm actually going to disagree about Hucklebuck. I actually think that the, the sound quality is very off on that. Yeah. But, oh, you agree with that? No, I mean, I, I, like, I, like what he, I like what he does to the song. But, yeah, it's, it's a chaotic mess. But, the, yeah, the bad production on that. This is perfect production. Everything's... I mean, that's Cropper 
obviously. But the layering of all these things, the, the little jingles of piano that really don't hold any melody or anything are just kind of like like flavor in the background yeah. happen. Uh, and I, the, the waves and the birds, as Tom was saying, are... I don't. It's perfect. Yeah, tasteful. And I don't usually go for that, you know. But Uh, yeah, it's tasteful. It's right. Imagine that. So this, I think, this is finally put together after he dies, right? Like all the post production. Yeah. Is that my correct? I think pretty soon. So think of the the lure to make it some, you know, saccharine, like add an orchestra, add a sweeping strings and whatnot. And the fact that they kept it so sparse, I think, was just. Like the perfect choice. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Doc of the Bay. Speaking of strings. I know. I know. So, first time we see that. Right? So, yeah, I love you more than words can say. I, I got to tell you, these first three songs together, I love. First in two. In order. You don't. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, not Let a me fan come on home, I love too. Yeah. But, um, but this, this song, I, I don't know why it complements Doc of the Bay perfectly. Yeah. But let me ask you this first Should Doc of the Bay be the first song or the last song on this album? Right, you can make a great. So we're gonna, we talk about making. This, if you open this with uh, "Don't Mess with Cupid," that's what I'm that saying. Heavenly guitar intro yeah. that just never appears again. I don't like it. Oh god, I, I love, love the song. I don't like that intro. I love that oh, intro. Oh, that like intro. The oh, the intro is gorgeous. Amazing. It's like a you know, angels have opened up. You have a beautiful Telecaster. I, I feel like that is sampled somewhere that I can't put my finger on. Just that lick. I don't know where. You don't even heard somebody that somebody hasn't already. They should. It's per- I think that's amazing. Send that mix to Tom. Um, but right, that's what I'm thinking. You play that's that, a perfect or maybe even that an second album. or something. But think of this album. I mean, taken for granted, you know, we're not going to put the old stuff on it. Whatever, it's going to be all you know original tracks. The album going off with that, with that kind of fade into the uh, ocean. Yeah, I think it's a better choice. Given what we have here, it's fine. You know, but yeah, when I make my uh, posthumous greatest hits, the great. Oh, we're going to do that, right? Let's, yeah, we'll let's all it. make our own we'll like, do best. After, uh, we'll limit ourselves to 11 or 12 tracks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you have to do 12. I don't think there's any Otis album that's more than 12, yeah. right? We'll do it after the, uh, the, the, the last posthumous album. But um, this goes on the end of that Can we have a podcast for each one of our choices? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that, that's what I meant, no? You just that? That's not indulgent? Um, yeah, so this is... More of that, I think, great guitar sound, right, coming through. Um, the It's soulful. I feel like the last couple albums, we were talking about how the voice is getting less soulful and maybe production was getting in the way or things like that. This sounds like the soulful first couple albums or the Otis Blue mm. vocal, I think. Mm. I think. I think that actually the second one as well. And uh, ordinarily I would worry like, okay, so why are we using strings now? Like, are we copping to a Motown sound? They do something really cool with it. Yeah. Like, it's, it sounds the strings sound dark. Yeah. You know, they, they give a gravity that uh, you know, the Motown string sound is usually glorious and beautiful or, or Sam Cooke when he uses strings is, you know, heavenly and gorgeous. I didn't this, recognize this is it just is. violins, and it, yeah. you know they just have that keening sound through the background when they come in for those swoops. It almost like, you know, it's like it's anticipating something from uh, Serge Gainsbourg's Melody yeah. Nelson, right? With yeah, those yeah, very yeah. dark string sounds. Well, I didn't recognize them as strings at first. I, you know, I it's I was like, what is that? I thought it was some kind of synth effect or something at first, but because it, it's so subtle and it's yeah. so kind of in the background of the song, yeah. But it complements that uh, just straining, longing quality yeah. to his voice in the song so perfectly. 
I mean, this is gorgeous. This for me is like the big revelation. The horns sound perfect yeah. in their kind of weary sound. A lot of weariness for these first two tracks. Really? Yeah. But diff- but a different flavor. Yeah. Completely. Like, um, you know, yeah, This they, they complement each other, but are certainly doing different things. This apparently, if, if I remember correctly, was the worst uh, selling Otis single. Apparently this and uh, Let Me Come Home. Let Me yeah. Come Home. Or Let Me Come Home. I can, I can see that. Um, I, I mean, can't. He, I, I think well, this is this is this this seems like a monster. Yeah, but these are not like popular. I know popular songs. You know, what I mean, they, they, they're not yeah. crowd pleasers. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they're a little more difficult. You know, uh, I I like them for that reason. Um, what is uh, he didn't write this though? But this seems to be written for him. I could I looked around. Yeah, I, I don't think that this. I think this was written for, for a him. single yeah. release for him. Yeah, there's one other track on here. I think that it has the same. Well, the the next track was on the same side, but he yeah, but he, he had wrote a hand it. in writing it. Yeah, know. him and Booker T wrote it. Um, but yeah, I, I th- these are the first Booker T tracks I think that are he they? wrote. I think. I mean, you know, he certainly has say. You know, you can hear that. That surprised me. I don't know that that's true. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you though what they are. I don't know. But we saw Eddie Floyd mm-hmm. uh, writing for him before. Yeah, knock on wood. Yeah, not yeah. Um, and a couple other ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't see any other Booker T Couldn't songs out of, or at oh, least the ones no. we've seen so far. Wow. Yeah, I don't think so. Wow. Um, and Let Me Come On Home, I think, I don't know what the problem is. I think it's a delight. I think it sounds like, like really like strong, upbeat. I think I, I get the, the jingle bells could maybe be a little great. Yeah, tambourine's a little too it's in your face. And it's hot. It's not. It's like not always right. It's hard to do a tambourine in rhythm like that because yeah. it's, it's oh no, it's just shaking like a rattlesnake. Yeah, and it's just way too over mic. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like it. Up front. I don't know. It, I, I, it I, helps the drive of it because this is a, this is the song drives. It drives, but it's a little boring. I don't yeah. know. I, I just I. I, you don't I know you were you were you were praising uh, the guitar playing on, or somebody oh, was yeah. praising the guitar play. It's nice, but it's it's I don't know, it's just kind of boring blues well, guitar because it, it, they're very predictable blues transitions. Yeah. That's that's the problem with it. Well, yeah, I mean, on this one, the horns come out. I like how the guitar complements the horns. I I don't know. I think this one's all working. You know, even those chimes. It's like uh, it's like you set up a barrier, like the, all the instruments have to fight against, and I, I feel that tension through it. Yeah, I feel I feel them trying to fight past that tambourine. I like it. So, <laughs> a couple things. I I, can't, I thought they were bells. I, I literally it's, thought I it was like a, a jingle bell. Yeah, I don't I think don't it's a, I don't think it's a sleigh bell. I think it's a sleigh bell. Tambourine. That's what I meant. Uh, two things: the Gatus come back. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because this this song these songs have to be recorded in '67, right? I mean, they're recent songs. The Gatus is like a '65 trope, you know. But I like that it comes back, you know what I mean? It, it's very, it sounds very extemporaneous in the moment. I don't know, I feel like this is the best of those, just like, get in front of the Mike Otis and riff. I love that thing. And, do, you, do you agree with uh, Rabowski that this reflects a Beatles influence, this particular song? I can't, No. I have no, I don't know where he was talking about with that. No, I, I was mean, interested in that idea, like when he was talking about how you know, certain of the tracks that they recorded recently you know, clearly represented the... You know, the variety of music that Otis was now listening to. This sounds like so by the numbers, kind of blues rock. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't think that's the case. I think think Glory of Love has that. But we'll get there. That's a strange track. But we'll get there. The other thing, um, the lyric, um, you're a thousand miles away, right? Becomes a song. 
Right. Yeah, and it's like a motif that I think is developing here. I mean, you see it in in Dock of the Bay, mm-hmm. right? It seems to be something in 67 He's, it's not just for Dock of the Bay, this kind of fleeting emotion. This seems to be something that's on his mind, this yeah, idea. Like what, what Tom was talking yeah. about, I mean, 67, he's, how often is he home? Right. It's the idea of looking back and, like, he, he certainly caught his breath and he's saying, like, you know, how did all this happen? Where, where am I? How did I get here? You know, you can, you can hear that. And I think that's pushing a better lyric, a better uh, voice for him. Overall. Well, the motif of, like, you know, Tide, which we talked, you know, Dr. Yeah. Bay, the idea that you blink your eyes and the next thing you know, you're far out to sea. So maybe this is sort of like a, a sobering moment to Otis yeah. in his life, you know, realizing how far he sort of, he has roamed, yeah. basically. And I like how we, uh, I like how you can see that in different ways, you know, this rock and R&B song versus the experimental thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, the next song I think is just fine. I, I don't, I, I don't dig on the conversational confession kind of thing that goes on in the beginning of it. I don't either, but I love Come the transition. You know that you've been wrong so many times. I've too. been wrong. I love know, the again. transition into the singing. He did that. He does that a, a couple times on the King and Queen album too. Where you're talking kind of, and then like all of a sudden you, it's a tramp, right? You kind of burst into song. I do like that, but I know what you mean. It is a little bit goofy, I think. I like the horn entrance, like where the horns suddenly come in. You know, I I like the build of the song. It's all right. It's a passable song. It gets better as you as you get as it starts to cook. Yeah. Um, I like the Al Jackson foot uh, on the on the on the the foot drum, the bass drum. And like the you know him hitting the rim or whatever. Well, the when you're doing the knock, the the knocking, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a this does have that kind of uh, almost violent passion that we haven't seen in a while, right? The uh, uh, open the door, I'm busting in, like this yeah. kind of right. We I don't think we've seen that ferocity from his yeah. lyrics or performance in for a couple albums, right? Yeah. It'd be kind of out of place on the uh, King and Queen album. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The horns have like a sultry sort of feel to them at one point too, yeah. like very very sexy sort of. Uh, yeah, I think right when they come in. Yeah. I, well, there's one point when it starts cooking, like in the middle, where you have synth guitar and the horns all kind of like interplaying mm-hmm. together, and I, I don't know. I think that's a great moment, but overall, I, this is maybe one of the weaker songs on the album. But I think, see, for my opinion, after those three powerhouses and what's to come next, it's like. I think a very nice, nice little little break. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I love Cupid. Man. Yeah, yeah, Cupid's it's great. This is fun. This is like Cupid's you know, so great. this is Otis party. This is it, right? This is um, this has like that snarl of like uh, try a little tenderness, that kind of big, you know, performance thing. And the production on this is great, where he's up front. You know, yeah, I think it's it's. Great. I do think that um, rhyming uh, Cupid and stupid, stupid. is <laughs> stupid, and I wince a little bit every time it goes on, but that is a, a small criticism. I wonder how many songs that rhyme, <laughs> or po- juvenile poems that rhyme has come up in. I don't know. Is that, is that a... Uh, Very few things that rhyme with either Cupid or stupid. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, this was the other one that he's being written for, it seems. He didn't have a, a hand in this. Um... The, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what more to say about that. 
that opening riff is amazing. It's just it's it's a great Otis song. It's a great Otis song. <laughs> like the, I know because if you look at like all the things that make up Otis songs, you, you know you're playing Otis Bingo. You have the ram- <laughs> you know at the yeah. end he just goes off on his rambling yeah. you know tangent. Uh, the band throws you a couple of curveballs along yeah, the way, like, definitely. you know, where the, the instruments are coming out at certain times or there's stops and pauses you don't expect. You have the, you know, escalation of the the horns that once again just kind of, you know, just, just bring you somewhere higher later on. So it is a typical Otis song that he's perfected. He's perfected yeah. Otis at this point. So everything that was missing on King and Queen, right? There you go. King I, yeah. and Queen wasn't good Otis. This is good Otis. Didn't we say that, like, this, this was a single at that time that could have yeah. been put on there? Right. Uh, if not King Queen, maybe then was, maybe the Dictionary Soul. It might be Dictionary Soul, but... Uh, so, what exactly does the uh, the line, you got the right string, baby, but your yo-yo is the wrong color? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it. I, I love the pairing of that with the, uh, you try to spend my love like a dollar. I, what, is, what does it mean? I don't know, but it's creative. I don't know. He didn't write it. I know. We'll have to ask Eddie Floyd. Maybe Deanie Parker wrote it. I don't. Did we see her before? Writing something or other, but isn't it strange though? Like how many original songs are on this? You know what I mean? This is the most, the album with the most original yeah. music. I think. I don't know about the things later than this, but um, the right Hucklebuck is the only cover, right? Or and Glory of well, Love. Glory of Love. Right, that's it. You mean originals as in even things that are Take written for specifically granted, for it? Oh. You know, uh, Tramp and yeah. and uh, the other one from you know this whole album. But, uh, I mean, I, I love hearing, like, these original Otis songs, even if you didn't write them, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really solid. And maybe that's what Cropper's doing, too, a lot of original stuff. I don't know. But, I mean, those five tracks, that, that's a home run. I love that. I'd say bass is loaded, and we'll oh, still yeah. see. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Weak. Um, side two, though, yeah. I mean, I... So, Glory of Love, I'm having mixed feelings about. I kind of came around a little, too. It's a very strange song, though. It's a, it, Actually, it's funny that you say that, because I, I, I wrote down the same thing, that it, uh, you know, initial couple of listens, I'm like, this is corny, I don't right. like it. But then eventually it grows on you, because he does something with it towards the end of the song. Yeah, yeah well, the switch between the, the waltz time to 4-4 time, like that, I think that makes the song, where Al Jackson comes in with the... Right, yeah, yeah. And it's it's doing the three four time, and then as soon as the guitar comes in with a boom, tip, boom, like it switches to four four, it's like whoa, it's the same drum beat, but you know there's a shift that it kind of throws you for a loop. There are the surprises that we're there, looking yeah, for with the go. band. That's the only thing that saves us the song from the corniness of the lyrics. Yeah, and, yeah it, it's the, the structure, right? Because it, it's it kind of like slow ballads in, and then it changes, but it never really climaxes. Am I, yeah. Is that right? That's like it just it gets to like. Uh, it rises to like a, a point where you think it's gonna like frenzy, and then it just kind of plateaus out. Yeah, it, it's straight, it, but but keeps this kind of like steady pace the whole time. Yeah, when you're at the end, you, the horns you're waiting for the horns to right. keep going higher. Then they don't, and then they do, and then you're waiting again. So it's like, uh, and then it fades. So you never, you never get the sense that it just, you know, goes to the heavens completely. And you get this kind of repetitive thing, right? I mean, we saw this a couple albums ago, right? Was that that one song that just did this kind of like low? I think I compared it to Suicide song or something, where it just is this like this this kind of repetitive, monotone kind of thing. I feel like this does that on just two levels, and then is over. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, how do we think it works as a as a strange experiment? You do or do not? I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's all right. 
Yeah, it's weird. This is what I'm thinking is like the pop influence. This is where I think maybe listening to the Beatles or something yeah, might you still be. still got a got the proxism at the end. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, yeah, you get a passionate vocal here. There's no doubt. What, what's the background of this song? I failed to look So at. it's old. It, it's, a, it's a song that was popularized by Benny Goodman. I mean, you know the song. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's the glory of the... Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But it's like jaunty and like, you know, you've heard it a thousand times. But who, who, like what like is so the that version that you just sang that's the kind of standard version of it yeah and yeah. it's a female okay. vocal um it's like yeah, it's like charming it's okay. like big band jazzy charming you know so then he has radically changed if he's the first well, to give no. this tree oh okay then the, i mean i think the sh- i think by then it was it's like a it's like a standard you yeah. know by then um it gets kind of pop treatment by the five keys in 51 okay. and that is like a doo-wop R&B, like early doo-wop mm. like it's really slow, really kind of like, um, yeah, almost bluesy slow. And, I mean, that's pretty good. And then there's like, there's, I mean, I think it's like something that doesn't get recorded a lot. Hmm. And then Otis puts it out as a single. And, I don't know, his seems to be the most popular version. Although, I feel like I've heard this song a thousand times. I don't know where, though. Hmm. You know? Well, listen to the Benny Goodman thing. You, you'll recognize oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. And it was weird. This one, this was a single previously. It was between Shake and Tramp. Was there a B-side to it? I don't know. Yeah, it must have been. But in that... No, I mean, I, well, that's I'm, I'm weird. sorry. That was a stupid question. But was there like a B-side that had any traction? Yeah, I don't know. I I forgot to look it up. But uh, but between Shake and Tramp, that's a strange, yeah, that's a, strange. a strange single to put out. Yeah. I don't know. I, ultimately, I like it, but it did take me a while to kind of come to it. All right. I'm coming home. I had a debacle with it. I didn't really listen to it. I mean, I've heard the song quite a bit, but... I enjoyed it. So of all the songs on this side, you know, I, I kind of uh, liking this quite a bit. The introduction, is it like Chain Gang? Chain Gang, gang yeah. <laughs> I like, I, this, is, yeah. This might be my least favorite song on the record. I think it's just, it seems so derivative of other stuff. <clears throat> I think if, if I hadn't heard Chain Gang, which is such a cool rendition, uh, if I hadn't heard other stuff from the yeah. Soul album, um, you know, it's just... I don't know. It, yeah, like it's I was telling bad. Joe, I was telling Joe earlier, this seems cut from a much earlier cloth. Like if you told yeah. me this was on his second record, it wouldn't surprise me. Like it just doesn't seem to have the same, I don't know, maturity that the other stuff has. Well, so I think my biggest problem with side two is that the production's all over the place, right? And the the pad the the, the song order is weird too. Like let's take it off the table. But these songs all sound like they're from different years, and, and it's are. because they are, right? But it shouldn't sound like that, you know? Yeah. Side one, that's the case as well. I guess less so, but it is the case. Yeah. And it all sounds pretty cohesive, yeah. you know? This is, yeah, this is really... Um, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm in this weird, like, with Glory of Love, I'm in this, like, you know, pretty avant-garde R&B situation. Then I'm back here. Then I'm on Tramp, yeah. which is, like, from a different planet. It's... It's it's jarring, you know. It, it doesn't flow at all, and that you know, that's a reason why I can't recommend this with the best of Otis Redding, Otis Redding albums. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Really, yeah, it's just it's fine. I think. I think that and open the door just kind of like do the throw. If those are the throwaway songs on the album, though, it's not a bad album. No. You know. 
don't know. I enjoy I enjoyed it as a song. And by the way, I, I mentioned in the last song there's an escalation of horns. It's actually at the end of this one. I mix the two of them up, where the horns just keep trying to plateau, yeah, and yeah. you don't actually reach the plateau. I think it does it. I think you're running going to love though a little bit too. Less so, this one really yeah. does, and I do like how. Um, uh, the, the lyrics lock in with uh, Al Jackson's pounding on the drums. I, I do like that. So I know it sound, it's not as sophisticated mm-hmm. as what's being made in the second half of 67, but I think it's a strong Otis song for what it is. I'll yeah. tell you what, though. If this is on Pain in My Heart, yeah. you love it. Yeah, yeah I, that's what go. I'm saying. It sounds like yeah. something from the second album to I me, know. and I think I would like it, especially on the second album where we were like, come on, man, give me something a little more jaunty. Yeah. That's what I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this is not part of that recording session. It just sounds so different. You know, not part yeah, of the December '67. I could be dead wrong. It just sounds like it's cut from. Completely I, I couldn't different. really find a lot of that stuff. I don't know. Um, all right, so getting past Tram, then we go to the Hucklebuck. What do you think is fine? It's a fine romp. Yeah. I, I like when Otis does like dance crazy songs, right? Yeah. I like the dog. I like Shane. Well, he's he's completely rewritten the song, right? Like it's yeah. you know it's like I know this from the Frank Sinatra version, which I assume is kind of a standard oh, I version. Know. I didn't hear that. It, so it's really? it basically gives you like dance steps. It's it's a dance instruction. <laughs> yeah. He he dispenses with that completely. Well, he does he's a just, little of it. He does a little bit of it, but he's you know he starts just basically let's let's do this here, let's do this there. We're gonna go to every club. I like the kind of name dropping of clubs. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's cool. Like it's frenetic. It's, it's. I was thinking of that as almost like, like, like pre hip hop kind of like uh, you know calling out places. You know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I thought that was. Uh, there's other R and B songs in, during this period of time that do something similar. I guess, calling out names, calling well, out places. I guess like. Um, Martha the Vandals are doing it. I'm thinking, well, uh, I'm thinking like the Arthur Connolly song that actually right. mentions they refer to it. Yeah. They refer to him oh. in it. Um, this right. is, a, is it Rabowski talks about that. It's yeah. kind of like a kind of a. Didn't Otis produce it or something? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was odd because it is your your second bumpkin anthem back to back. Because if Tramp is like his defense yeah, of right. of his provincial sort of status, this one's playing up on it in a way. Also. No, I know, like, it's... Because I, I, would, I would take it, it seems like he's talking about the Chitlin circuit, but he's, like, going to California, like, he's going... But from the perspective of someone from the Chitlin circuit. Right. Yeah, maybe, the, yeah. I'm a, a guy on the rise. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, and I think you're supposed to take him as, like, the kind of dupe, in a way. Dupe? Well, former dupe, I guess, that's making good, you know, that's the All idea. Right. He's, dupe's wrong. Coming from a humble place. Maybe I mean the fact that he takes a you know white dance craze and well, no, the, the, basically appropriates. Outside, it. I, think, I think I think he's. I, I, well, I'm outside of the song. Well, I think that's what he's doing. I don't. I no, don't. I agree. I don't see his bumpkin making good. I see it as basically like like a man capable of doing anything. You're talking about two different things. Okay. So I think you're. I'm talking about the the nature of the lyrics itself have the you know have the bumpkin doing good quality. But it's interesting tension when you consider what's actually happening. You know, like you just said, Otis reappropriating the song. But I think even lyrically, I think, see, I think it lyrically by saying, like basically saying, you know, fuck the lyrics of the original song that everybody knows. I'm going to take you on a tour. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to take this this music, you know, to every one of these places. Yeah, that's what I, that, that assertion of authority of mastering a form, like we've seen that earlier with him basically mastering every soul form prior. Now he's taking, you know, just like he did with Try a Little Tenderness or Glory of Love, you know, but this time, you know, 
Oh, I guess it's like what he did with Satisfaction. I think so. You know, yeah. Screw the original lyrics. I'm going to do my own thing. I like it. So I, I'll reiterate this. So I, the production, I think, is terrible. It just sounds rough. It sounds like a like a like a single microphone in a room almost. I mean, I can hear the passionate vocals, you know, under, but they're just not prominent. Mm-hmm. Enough, you know, um, I don't know why that is. The uh, I mean, I really like the the piano, like that hunky yeah, down, down, down. piano, and the you know, like everything seems to work. It just it's a bad mix, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder how much uh, was put into the sessions for that. What was that called? Like stay in school or something? Wasn't it like a stack stay in school? Yeah. Stack stay in school. Yeah. Why is why is it buried between these other tracks too? You know what I mean? Like yeah, the sequencing is really odd here. It really is. Like, yeah. I mean, all right, let's say you want to... Put, so put the three at the end, I guess, alone. That would make sense. But why tramp then this? Uh, I, I can't make heads or tails of it. Um, and then, you know, those last two songs. Uh, I don't think any of us really, like, nobody knows. You no, know. I did. I you made did. A, you were I the made one a, that liked a, it. Plea yeah. for I, I remember... That was my least favorite track. Yeah, me and Josh were in agreement about that. Yeah, no. I remember I, I was... I, I liked that as being a kind of, like... Um, like social commentary. I thought that he was doing very interesting things with it. It has no place, you know, between the Hucklebuck and Old Man Trouble, though. It's very strange. I, I'll tell you what I do like, and I really like Old Man Trouble as a final track, right? It made me rethink Otis Blue a little bit. You know, it's perfect. You know, I wouldn't change it, but, but Old Man Trouble kind of taking us out of an album is an interesting choice here. You know, given what we That's have. the only track that I understand its inclusion here as a bookend to uh, Dock in the Bay. As a bookend, but sonically, it's... It's different. Other than Tramp, it's the most dispersed... Uh, uh, song that, that sounds least like everything else. I don't know. Yeah, there's such a warm production to this that I don't think is on this yeah. side or maybe even on the album at all. They are the same versions, right? Because I had yeah. read somewhere, yeah, like, I oh, so. I don't like the version that's on Dock of the Bay. Oh, yeah. I've right. listened yeah. to them countless times back to back. I could not find a single difference. Yeah, no, they have okay. to be. Yeah, I, I don't think that's... Uh... All right. Um, so, I don't know, that's it. I guess uh, it gets a little bit colder than I thought on this album, but um, what about that cover? Cover's good, but I'd never seen the uh, I'd never seen the the back cover of the vinyl before. It's cool with Otis. He's holding the acoustic guitar. He's looking That's off. That's pretty cool. You know, yeah, he that, looks like he's in a recording studio. That would have been an awesome album cover. That 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 should be like a framed poster yeah. in somebody's uh, office or something. It's yeah, it's it's so cool. Him looking, he's like, I guess he's looking. At his hands playing, but yeah. it looks like he's like gazing off into space or something. Like, it's amazing. Um, but I, I love the the him singing, right? Uh, you know that that just visceral quality. He looks like a, like an old, you know, R and B singer. Yeah. It is shocking to think that he is twenty six in yeah. this picture, right? He looks like he's forty. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not a criticism. I don't know. just fact. I don't know. It's weird. But, um, all right. I mean, I think what this album is great for is just looking at the kind of possibilities. I mean, even if it's a negative comparison a lot of times, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing what could have been. 
which is sad. But we have three more albums like this to kind of play with. And you're saying you like Immortal Otis better. As an album, because I don't think there's... I, mean, there, I, I think it holds together better. There's, there's some weak points, but there isn't like a second side that just falls apart. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I don't know that like you get anything close to Dock of the Bay on there. But, but you do get hard to handle. There's, there's, there's enough good. Things. Yeah, I mean, it's an album that reminds me more of like the Soul album or Dictionary of Soul, mm-hmm. uh, which has, I, I mean, I think we started these discussions with the idea that we're looking for album cohesion. If that's the case, Dr. The Big doesn't qualify, Immortal Otis does. And uh, I guess we'll uh, see it then. Don't you mess with-